to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Continuing on in the book of Philippians, the second chapter, the 12th through the 18th verses, hear these words. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you enabling you both to will and to work his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you must also be glad and rejoice with me. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Preachers are cursed at times that we can't curse at times. You lay people have all the good four-letter words, and you use them with impunity. If you drop a casserole on the middle of the kitchen floor, there is a word for that. When I drop a casserole, I have to say, behold, I have dropped it. When you slam your thumb in the car door, there is a word for that. It's a layperson's word. I have to say, verily, verily, I have mushed it. You get all the good words, and you're free to use them at any time you want to use them. I'm looking for ventilation language that will allow me to say what's on my heart when those moments land on my heart. One Sunday morning in the middle of a sermon, I said the word dang. Yes, I said dang. I don't remember saying it. I don't know what the context was that caused me to say it. I don't know if I was quoting the great theologian Roger Miller who's saying, dang me, dang me, they ought to take a rope and hang me. But I said it. Well, that Monday morning, the phone rang. On the other end was Miss Laura, and she was frantic. Brother Doug, you've got to do something. 
Okay, Miss Laura, what's going on? Oh, Brother Doug, it's terrible, it's terrible. Miss Robbie is in the produce section of Brookshire's. She's right there by the cantaloupe, and she's saying saying to everyone who will listen, she's never coming to that church ever again. She thinks it's terrible and horrible that the preacher used profanity in the pulpit yesterday. It's a terrible, horrible thing, and Doug, she's telling Methodist and Baptist and Church of Christ and Pentecostals, anybody, how terrible it is what you said yesterday in the pulpit. Uh, Miss Laura, what did I say? She says, you said, dang. Okay, Miss Laura, thank you very much. I will take care of this immediately. Miss Laura hung up, picked up the phone, dialed Miss Robbie, Miss Robbie, Let me come talk to you. I'll be there in five minutes. She said, okay, preacher. Ran across the church to the parsonage, put on my repenting clothes, my sackcloth and ashes. I looked as humble as you can look and still be me. And I went to her house in a spirit of contrition because I'd used this awful word in the pulpit. And I pulled up in the driveway and I I knocked on the front door and her husband, Alan, came to the front door. He escorted me all the way to the backyard because I guess a profanity-producing preacher is not allowed to sit in the parlor. They took me all the way to the backyard and sat me on one little corner of the picnic table. Miss Robbie comes out in stately, holy piousness and sits down and I begin Miss Robbie I'm sorry I'm sorry I said such a horrible thing as whatever I said in the pulpit yesterday and I'm here to ask for your forgiveness and oh please don't leave the church Miss Robbie you and Alan are such valuable members of the church And she said, you know, preacher, I come to church to hear a holy sermon from a holy man. I want to have my heart lifted up. I want to be up there on the throne of grace with Jesus. I want to be, I want to be challenged in my faith and deepened in my faith. And I can't be deepened in my faith if the preacher is going to use profanity in the pulpit. And you just don't know how hard it is for me to go to that church. And she took a deep breath. And she started on this side of the church and she went all the way and she included every member of the church in her gossip, in her vitriol, in the evil, wicked things she was saying. And she circled across the aisle and started at the back and she came all the way down the front of the church talking about that side of the church with all the evil and the wickedness that a human being could manage. And I thought, there she is. She's chapter four in my book. The chapter entitled Hypocrisy. She was a living illustration of what Jesus said. Do not, do not, do not try to get the toothpick out of your brother's eye when you've got a telephone pole hanging out of your own eye. It was incredible. I tried several times to stop her, but she was on an unrighteous tear, almost a rap. Man, she didn't know anything about rapping, but she was moving on. 
And it's, please stop. Please slow down. And she expended all of the grace I brought with me. And I just finally said, Mr. Robbie, I came to apologize. Please accept my apology. And I hope that Sunday you'll be back in church. Two human beings in Brookshire's. Miss Laura, Miss Laura had been through all kinds of trouble in her life. She had survived the death of a beloved spouse. She'd had her own physical challenges. Uh, she just had a tough time. But every time I saw her, she had a smile on her face and a twinkle in her eye and a positive word to speak. Miss Robbie. Miss Robbie was born in the objective case. She's the only Methodist I've ever known in 35 years of pastoring churches that actually sat on the second row, except in here. No, y'all are on the third row. Except for you, you're on the first row, but you're clergy, it's okay. She ran a beauty salon, which nobody came to anymore because she gossiped. And you knew that once you got out of the chair and left, she was going to gossip about you. And she also gave the list out of all the women who were coloring their hair. And I understand you're not supposed to do that. And I remember walking out of that house after sitting through that for nearly an hour. And there was just one word that came to mind. Behold. So how are you doing behind your mask? You know, we're all dealing with the new reality, the mask, the social distancing, the social distancing with mask, the social distancing with mask, now get your goggles. The social distancing with masks and goggles and face shield and, and pretty soon we're just going to put a football helmet on, which will make me very happy. It will remind me of the way it used to be. And we don't know how to operate in this new realm. There's a lot of anxiety. If I ask you, do you have a lot of hope? You would say, yes, I have hope, but it's sort of a vague hope. You can't really articulate what the hope is. And Paul speaks into this because here's the Apostle Paul. Everything in his life had been interrupted by a Roman imprisonment. He's chained to a guard. He can't go out. But Paul still has joy. Paul is still happy. Paul is still smiling. Paul is not in prison. Paul has turned this room into a prayer center. Paul has, has turned this room into a writing um, depot. Paul has turned this into a, a place where missionary work can still go on. One noted author has said the difference between a prison and a monastery is the difference between gratitude and grumpiness. And I want to suggest that some people get stuck and grumpy. And Christ has called us to be joyous, to have gratitude. Knowing that all those billions of sins and all those billions of disappointments have been forgiven at the cross. And his words speak hope and his words speak life to this, to this today and give us an opportunity to, to figure out how we're going to live 
behind our mask. And, and Paul is doing a real cool thing because everything is doublets. There are two of everything almost. And he says, first of all, I rejoice because you've always obeyed me, but now you're obeying me even though I'm not there and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I thought my salvation was already worked out in the person of Jesus Christ. I thought my salvation was already taken care of on the cross. I thought my salvation was by grace, but here Paul is saying, work it out. Now he's not adding something to it. It's still by grace. It's because of grace and through grace. But Paul is saying, you need to live with an attitude of fearing and trembling as you're living out your salvation. These are two really cool Greek words. Phobon is the Greek, our Greek word for fear, phobia. You recognize it. Phobon in Greek is the picture of, enter the sermon with me, you behind the barn, you behind the barn, and your best friend Bubba has gotten into his dad's liquor cabinet, and Bubba is bringing you a fifth of Jack Daniels. And you and Bubba are behind the barn, and you know you're not supposed to drink the Jack Daniels. You know Bubba took the Jack Daniels from his daddy's liquor cabinet. You know that if both of you get caught doing this stupid thing, you are going to be in terrible trouble. That's phobone. That's phobia. That's fear. The fear of getting caught doing something you know you ought not to be doing. The second Greek word is tromu, trembling. So phobon, you're there behind the bar doing something you don't need to be doing and you hear someone coming Trembling is when the person comes around the corner and it's your daddy and you have been caught red-handed. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul was saying. Fear and trembling that you and I behind the mask are living before a holy and awesome God, that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ have been called to a higher level of living. We have been called to a life of faith. We have been called to a life of hope. We've been called to live as children of God and there are certain ethical and moral responsibilities to live out that kind of life. Yes, there are expectations that Jesus has for us as his children that we should be living up to. And Paul articulates them for us. He says, do everything without murmuring or arguing. Murmuring or arguing. Paul is referencing a very specific kind of murmuring and arguing. He's recalling the Hebrews in the wilderness with Moses. They've been set free from Egypt. They've been freed from the power of Pharaoh. They have, they have left Egypt with all the Egyptian jewelry in their pockets. They have left Egypt with all the Egyptian livestock mixed in with their livestock. Anything of value, these Jewish slaves have taken it away. Their God has defeated the Egyptian army and their new secret weapon, a chariot in the Red Sea. They are victorious. They are free. They are no longer slaves. 
The power of God has set them free and overcome the power of Pharaoh. And they get into the wilderness and what are they doing? Moses, who made you boss? Moses, my feet hurt. Moses, I'm thirsty and I want avion. Moses, I'm tired. I'm tired of this manna and quail. Moses, Moses, look, I got a rip. Moses, are we there yet? And on and on it goes. That's the word Paul used for murmuring. It's very specific. It's very historic. It comes out of a dearth of gratitude and a whole lot of grumbling. They're not complaining that they don't have five-star accommodations. This is not a five o'clock in the afternoon grouchy. This is not a low blood sugar moment. This is faithlessness. They are not trusting God. They are not believing in God. They are not following the plan that God has for them. They want to exercise their own plan in their own time, in their own way. We do it too. Come in and, oh, leftovers. Hmm. Where's the protein, baby? What'd you do all day? Eh? You want to take care of that dirty diaper over there? Jesus Christ might have saved me. Might have set me free from my sins and my failures. Might have freed me from eternal torment and given me blessed life eternal. But I am not happy that supper is Roman noodles, ramen noodles, or Cheerios. And we don't live out of a spirit of gratitude. Paul said, no murmuring, no arguing. Be thankful. And when you live out of a spirit of thanksgiving, no doctor's diagnosis, no pink slip, no, no phase two for eternity, nothing can upset you or bother you because Jesus Christ has a plan for your life. He loves you. He's not surprised by any of this. He didn't have to go to plan B. He's still got us on the same path we've always been on. The question is, are we going to follow him? Or are we going to be in the back? Murmuring. Because God's not doing this according to our speed. I mean, how many people dream the Southeastern Conference would only play 10 football games? Come on, Lord. So Paul says, put that away and live as pure people without blemish. Blameless and innocent. The Greek words are words that describe a sacrificial animal without blemish. They're acceptable to God. Live a life that is acceptable to God behind your mask because it's really only you and the Lord behind that mask. Live with a heart 
that is filled with thanksgiving. Live with a heart that is filled with praise. Live with a heart that has been made new in Christ Jesus. And Paul said, if you'll live that way, you will shine like stars in the world. There it is for you. Shine like stars in the world. Shine like stars in the world. Paul promised right here, you could go viral. Shine like stars in the world. You got your 15 minutes of fame right here. Shine like stars in the world. The Greek word is luminary. And it, it, the one verb is done where you are a lighter. You are lighting the path so others can see. You are, you are giving direction not only to your life but to others' lives because people are watching you live for Jesus. Yeah, they're watching you live for Jesus. I know you didn't sign up for that, but they are watching you and you are a light to others. Folks, they didn't have GPS back here. Everything was navigated both on land and on sea by the stars. Paul was saying, if you'll put away murmuring and put away your own agenda, if you'll live pure and blameless lives, you will be like stars in the world. You want to be somebody? This is how you get there. You live a pure and blameless life. Loving God and loving each other. When you pastor a Methodist church, you you get to pastor all kinds of cool people. Uh, people you would not, or I would not have ordinarily met. In 1980, a United Methodist named Dave Treen became the first Republican governor of Louisiana since Reconstruction. I didn't know Dave Treen when he was governor of Louisiana from 1980 to 1984. I knew him after he had retired He was a member of the St. Timothy United Methodist Church. Uh, Dave had been a widower for several years by that time. Uh, Governor Treen was, I don't know if he'd watched Matlock, but it seemed that every time I saw Dave Treen coming out of church, he was in a seersucker suit. It was just kind of amazing. He um, was there every Sunday. He was in Sunday school every Sunday. He taught Sunday school several times. He, take, he had taken every disciple Bible study the Methodist church ever dreamed of. Dave Treen would not talk about the time he was governor. He would not talk about Louisiana politics. He wanted to know about you. He wanted to know about you. And did you love Jesus? And were you following Jesus? That's all that mattered to him in his retirement. He was a humble, gracious godly man. And he loved to tell this story on himself. He was at a place called Blue Harbor in Mandeville. Blue Harbor is on Highway 190. And the only way to describe Blue Harbor to you is just imagine gas pumps from that side of the building all the way deep into the parking lot over there. Blue Harbor had gas pumps far as the human eye could see. It had a car wash, a convenience store, a CC's coffee, and a dry cleaner. I mean, you could just pull in Blue Harbor and everything was there. Governor Treen said he had pulled in one day and he was filling up his car and he was just kind of looking around. He said, this young lady was a couple of pumps over 
And she was not taking her eye off of him. She was just staring at him and she was smiling at him. And he would look over and she would not avert her gaze. She would just keep looking at him and smiling and made eye contact. And Governor Treen's trying to skinny it up a little bit and really look good because she's checking him out. He said he had fear and trembling because she started walking over to him where he was finishing pumping his gas and she said, Sir, excuse me, may I ask you a question? Yes, ma'am, you may. She said, I know I know you. I know I've seen you someplace before. He just kind of smiled and said, yes. She said, sir, did you used to be somebody? And that's where he stopped the story. Jesus Christ has invited us to be children of God, join heirs with him. As we live a blameless and a pure life, As we live for Jesus Christ, we become stars, stars in the world, lighting the paths for others to find Christ. So friends, it really does matter how you live behind that mask. Would you stand and pray with me? We thank you for your great love for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the grace that has set us free, for the work you did for us on Calvary's cross that has freed us from our burdens, our hurts, and our sins. And we pray, O God, that behind our masks we will be innocent and blameless stars in the world, showing your grace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.